Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Eric, man, what a weekend in Las Vegas, eh? I mean, holy moly. Uh, seeing that outsider saunter into Nevada and yeah, look, I know that plenty of people picked him to win, but... The overwhelming consensus was that it would be a close run thing if he were to get the victory. I'm not sure that many people expected a total blowout like that, eh? I mean, wow. But um, but anyway, enough of Bernie Sanders. hey <laughs> Nice. Uh, so the other big Vegas story, of course, unfolded not on CNN or MSNBC, but on a joint ESPN-Fox pay-per-view, a spectacular victory setting up the prospect of a mouth-watering heavyweight clash. Yes, Charles Martin knocked out Gerald Washington and called for a rematch with Anthony Joshua. And really, Eric, that's the only fight to be made in the heavyweight division right now, sure. Look at you with multiple misdirections there in the opening of the show. So, yeah, I'm thinking... Nope, nope, can't come up with anything else. Uh, that is the fight, Joshua Martin 2, unless Gerald Washington uh, invokes his rematch clause and we get right. Martin Washington 2 first, uh, which, right, uh, right. you know, that'd be at least a 4.6 million by pay-per-view main event, uh, I think. Um, but to continue your political analogy, uh, in the actual main event on Saturday night, we saw the most brutal one-sided beatdown in Vegas since Elizabeth Warren took a blowtorch to Mike Bloomberg at the debate. <laughs> Mark Breland definitely would have thrown in the towel on that one if he'd been in Bloomberg's corner. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. All right. Yes, of course, we kid, we kid. Um, Saturday night in Las Vegas was really so big that it's going to take us a lot of effort to digest it all. So much so, in fact, that we need not just one, but two guests to help us pick through it all. Uh, Matt Christie, the editor of Boxing News in the UK, will join us shortly. And after that, we will talk with the one and only Roy Jones Jr., who I understand knows a few things about boxing in Las Vegas. Uh, he will look back on Saturday with us. And he'll also help us preview next Friday's Showbox. Yes, boxing actually is continuing. There are going to be other fights. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, look, this past weekend's events are going to continue to dominate the boxing world uh, for a little while. Uh, Tyson Fury gliding to the ring at the MGM Grand atop a throne and leaving it as the undisputed king of the heavyweight division. Look, Eric, to revisit that opening joke, we knew it was a real possibility that Fury would win this fight. Uh, But last week on the podcast, we both explicitly dismissed the relative likelihood of a Fury KO among all the various possibilities. I think you quoted an odd of like odds of like five to one for a Fury knockout. And I said, not a chance. Right. (laughs) Um, Well, there you go. Uh, Boy, were we wrong. Um, Fury just stepped to Deontay Wilder from the very beginning and frankly, flat out bullied him, um, flooring him twice en route to a seventh round TKO. On many levels, so many levels, an astonishing performance, Eric, a remarkable night. Yeah, look, I'm not surprised at all that Fury won, but in everything I wrote about betting on the fight, in everything I said on the podcast, the one outcome that seemed like an extreme long shot was Fury by KO. I assumed all of Fury's talk about stepping to Wilder and knocking him out was an obvious misdirect. Uh, We know now that he knew exactly what he was doing, believed in this plan. Uh, He told us the truth about his weight. uh, And uh, I said last week that I wish I could make my prediction after the (laughs) weigh-in. Well, I'm kind of glad I didn't because Fury weighing in at 273 and not taking his shirt off. And then there was one photo uh, that that captured his gut kind of hanging out as he was pulling off his overshirt. That all would have made me go from on the fence about the fight to semi-confident in predicting a wilder win, I think. Um, It's funny, going into Joshua Ruiz 2, I saw Ruiz's weight and uh, said at the time, eh, it doesn't make a difference. He's a fat guy. He can fight. The weight isn't important. And that was proven wrong. And I let that influence my thinking here, and I thought the extra weight was a bad thing for Fury. Not at all. As it turns out, he was obviously in the shape he needed to be in. His plan was to be the bully. And he pulled it off to perfection and capitalized on his correct prediction that Wilder couldn't fight going backward and wouldn't be able to take it. Kieran, walk me through your experience watching the fight a little bit. Was Wilder ever in it, in your view? You know, I'll tell you, 
in a, for those first couple of rounds, even though Fury was obviously stepping forward and was obviously the dominant guy, he was he was somewhat in it. But to sort of like continue on the the theme of you know Fury size, I think the mm-hmm. thing that struck me right from the very beginning was just the way in which. He he dwarfed Wilder. Wilder's enormous, right? right? He's a big, big dude. But Fury just looked massive in there. And I was thinking about what Andy Lee said to us on the on the whole fight thing that yeah, he'd weigh in at like mid to high two sixties. And that's probably what he did weigh, because he weighed in at two seventy three with shoes and whatnot. And he said quite specifically, not all two hundred and sixty, two hundred and seventy pounds are the same. And when it with his show up, he when with the when he got into the ring, he didn't look fat to me. He just looked big. Um and I was, you know, I noticed that, you know, at first, even when Fury was taking it to Wilder, I did note a couple of times, hey, Wilder is actually managing to land a couple of those straight rights. He, he caught him with a good one in the first and a good one in the second. And I mm-hmm. thought, hmm, maybe this, I wonder if this is going to be a good strategy for Wilder, cause, uh, for Fury, because Wilder's already hitting him. Right. But, um, but it was interesting looking back at my notes and, and sort of remembering, obviously, how I felt that third round knockdown, that, that effectively ended the fight. Right. Really, it was over right then, and, and I don't know. I guess that that right hand that fraud him was, especially the one looking like it landed just behind the ear. It looked like that was probably the one that seemingly ruptured Wilder's eardrum. But um, I, I, I should, should note from what I was reading today, they're saying there isn't a ruptured eardrum. Oh, okay. uh, but that he did have he had stitches in the ear. But the initial diagnosis okay. is not a ruptured eardrum. But okay. ne- nevertheless, but, uh, it did the damage. He, it certainly did because he just never. You know, whether it's slightly concussed him, whether his just equilibrium was gone. I right. mean, he was just, I mean, he was just not in it after that. And and it's, it's interesting to me how swiftly like, the tone of my notes just completely flipped. You know, I was looking at it like round four already at the beginning of the round. Wilder in all kinds of trouble, I wrote. Yep. Round five, Wilder's legs have gone. Round six, Wilder is lost. And he did. He looked lot. He had nothing. And, and there was this one moment where you saw... You know, uh, Fury sort of back in Wilder up to the ropes, and they were they were leaning onto each other. And you saw Deontay's head sort of on on Fury's shoulder, and his face was turned to the camera, and his face was gone, like he was somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I, I think for a large part of that fight, I'm not entirely sure Deontay Wilder knew where he was. And then in, well, in round six, I also put Wilder is done, one punch away, question mark. And then early in round seven, I put stop the fight. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and of course, shortly after that, Kenny Bayless did stop the fight uh, after Mark Breland threw in the towel uh, for all Wilder protested. And despite JD saying he thought it was the wrong decision, I don't think there was any point letting that fight continue. Uh, I mean, Deontay was getting battered in there. And, and by, as that went on, basically every time Fury landed, he started to stagger. I, like I said, I don't think he knew where he was. I don't think there was any need for him to take any more of a physical beating, let alone a psychological beating. Uh, look, I know you're a sadist. <laughs> right, right. Documented you're, as such. You're yes. a, exactly. You're okay with that stoppage, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I said, uh, as Wilder went to his corner at the end of the sixth, that I wouldn't be shocked if they stopped the fight in the corner. But mm. because of the magnitude of the fight and because they have the biggest one-shot puncher in boxing history, perhaps, uh, they right. wanted to let him go on. At first, in real time, it looked like a weirdly timed stoppage from Kenny Bayless, even though even though we all knew that Wilder was pretty much done. Just the timing of it seemed a little off. Uh, and by the way, Bayless was really terrible in this fight. I yeah, won't. Yeah, he was off. Wasn't he? I won't dwell on it. Um, you know, it's not the main story here, but yeah, he he stunk and seemed to be trying to help Wilder and give him time to recover at every turn. Um, but you know, in this case. We found out a few moments later the stoppage wasn't really his decision. It came from, as you said, Mark Breland. And, yeah, I think it was the right time. The only reason not to stop it there is because of Wilder's freak power. Uh, but he clearly mm. didn't have the legs to get off a miracle right. punch at that point. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Wilder was fairly awful in the fight. Um there's no denying that, but I think almost all of the credit for that has to go to Fury. Uh, everything about Wilder falling apart was attributable to something Fury was doing to him. 
the most underrated factor, the one not nearly enough people seem to be talking about, was those whipping right hands to the body. Fury yeah. was sneaking them in early on, and it's not an accident that Wilder's legs were getting weak just three rounds into the fight. Um, also, in conjunction with that, Fury was brilliant in his leaning on Wilder. That is exactly what you do when you're 273 pounds and the other dude's legs are going. Fury was brilliant, uh, and I have one and only one critique of him. Come on with those trunks pulled up to the middle of his rib cage. <laughs> uh, I know you said he didn't look fat in the ring. He just looked big. It was hard to tell because he was covering up where the fat rolls would have been. I don't know if body punching was in the plan for Wilder, but if it was, it became impossible due to that. And the Nevada Commission needs to enforce the rule is supposed to be that the trunks don't come up over the belly button. Uh, but, th you know, that's it. That's the only negative thing I can say about Tyson Fury. Everything else, positive. He was in total control uh, to the point that he could pause and lick at Wilder's blood at one point, which, well, that's Tyson Fury for you. Uh, the dude came to the ring to Patsy Cline's crazy. He knows who and what he is. Um, and speaking of music, uh, he ended the night getting Bob Arum, Frank Warren, and the crowd to sing along to American Pie, uh, which is a, a far better song than the Aerosmith Armageddon song, in right. my view. So shout out to Tyson for his improving taste. Uh, Kieran, is that really the feat of the night, Fury leading 88-year-old Bob Arum and 10,000 friends in a Don McLean sing-along? It might be. Bob was, Bob was singing along pretty enthusiastically there, wasn't he? Yeah. It was funny, you know, like... Uh, uh, I think we we texted back and forth about uh, uh, an interview that Tyson was doing. I, I think with I can't remember with ESPN or Fox or or whoever, where he was talking about how, um, yeah, he really he was really looking forward to getting getting hit. He he liked he wanted to taste blood. I, I assumed that he meant his own blood. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and and, that, and there is the danger in assuming anything when it comes to Tyson Fury. <laughs> well, indeed, and that's the thing, right? It, this. What happened on Saturday night felt like it was more than what Tyson Fury did with his fists. Like the entire package felt like it was it was elevating the whole experience onto another level. You know, yet the ring entrance, the singing, the blood licking. More than that, I mean, I've not been shy in the past about saying I haven't always been the biggest fan of Tyson Fury, especially in that previous incarnation. I, I didn't get it. I didn't always get him. I wasn't a fan of his boxing style. I wasn't a fan of his humor of his personality, but, you know, I think subsequently a lot has become more clear about all of those things as he's become very open about his mental health issues. And, um, you know, and as I said to you, I think a couple of days before the fight, I've really, during the second act, come, come around a lot. And it's felt that, you know, sort of watching him on Saturday night, I, I kind of had this feeling that as he sort of unburdened himself you know, of the problems that he's had in terms of his mental health and his depression. And, and he sort of liberated himself through sharing and, and, and dealing with that. It's sort of created the space for him to be a lot more serious about his boxing career and about maximizing his talent somehow. And it's, yes, he still is completely insane and having a tremendous amount of fun with it. But it also feels from a distance like there's a calmness and focus about him now. And, and I thought that the fight underlined that he's really smart, you know, like he, he came up with this, presumably he and, and to what extent Sugar Hill and, and, and Andy were involved too, but came up with a, with a strategy that, as you alluded to earlier, nobody actually thought he would do, um, you know, so the fact that he has this elusiveness that a six in the ring that a six foot nine guy shouldn't have and can also just change that completely and be a complete bully when he wants to. Yeah. Plus, he's got this whole personality thing. I, I kind of like raised the proverbial eyebrow when Bob Arum signed him and he said, ah, oh, Tyson Fury's got to be huge in America. And I'm like, is he? Is he? <laughs> well, I, I, well, who's laughing now? I mean, right. not for the first time. Arum looks a bit smart, doesn't he now, I think? so. Um, but on the other side of the coin, continuing the theme of sort of assessing and reassessing fighters, so... Everyone's talking about Tyson Fury, quite rightly. Uh, but there is the question of what this means for Deontay Wilder. I think you and I have both increased our opinion of him over the past couple of years, from horrible boxer with a massive punch to substantially improved boxer with a massive punch. <laughs> right. um, I stick by that assessment. But, I mean, you kind of wonder what this does to him. Because, like, when you're the intimidator, right, when your whole thing is being the biggest puncher in the division, the guy who strikes fear in opponents... A loss like this can really sort of embolden foes, I, I think, and really 
perhaps more importantly, damage your own psyche. And I was thinking about this, I guess on the plus side, it's very difficult to think of another heavyweight who can do what Fury did to him. I mean, even Anthony Joshua, I don't know that he could really impose himself on Wilder the way that Fury did. Um, and But you do wonder a little bit whether Wilder, for the first time in his career, might have to build himself up a little bit psychologically after that. Because the bully got bullied. He got beaten up. And he has the right to demand a third fight. That's what the contract says. If he activates that clause, Fury has to give him a third fight. Right. And the question is, obviously, you know, the dust hasn't settled yet. But do you think, A, that he will do that? And B, that he should? This this is the question I've struggled with most since the fight ended. Um, I don't know what the right move is for Wilder. Um, and I would slightly uh, recharacterize uh, how you described our, our, our view of, of how he's improved. I would just say, uh, I think you said, you know, greatly improved as a boxer, but always a great puncher. I would say somewhat improved as a boxer, but... I became more convinced of just how great he was as a puncher right. that he hadn't really proven it when I was still doubting him. And then he went on to prove it against top guys. And yeah, I mean, he will always be a freak puncher. And I wonder now if coming off this performance, we're going to be inclined to downplay that a little and assume mm. Tyson Fury owns him. But Wilder could absolutely go out and knock Fury unconscious next time if he if he wants the rematch. I'm not saying it's likely, but it's absolutely possible. Uh, you know, like, don't sleep on Wilder because he just got his ass handed to him one time. Um, but he has some work to do. There, there needs to be a strategy for what to do if Fury is yeah. aggressive and for what to do if Fury is boxing and moving. And there's certainly something to be said for rebuilding with a couple of easier fights first. I'll say this. The opportunity doesn't go away for him if he waits and recedes for a year. He's still one of the biggest names in the division, uh, one of the one of the top three stars in the division. If Fury and Anthony Joshua is next, Wilder will still be perfectly positioned for a shot at the winner afterward. But maybe Wilder's going to feel like uh, AJ did after the Ruiz loss, like he needs to get his immediate revenge. Mm. We'll see. the The ball is in his court, uh, which, as you said, it, you know, it means that Fury, despite winning, doesn't get to really make the decision. If Wilder wants the rematch, Fury would have to breach the contract to to go in another direction. Uh, but it, it's obvious that the biggest fight you can make right now is Fury versus AJ. That is the right mega event uh fury has for now cleared up any lineal debate by winning this fight yeah. um but it would also be nice to have things completely and totally unified um so um i guess we need to touch on the undercard from saturday night uh sebastian <laughs> fundora won emmanuel navaretta won prince charles martin won and the fight was as awful as we knew it would be and as unworthy of being a, a major pay-per-view co-feature as we knew it would be but at least it ended early and there we've touched on the undercard uh anything else to say about it kieran or do you want to ignore all that and just chime in on fury joshua or, or whatever else might be next for fury no the one thought is that i one i made this little note to myself is why must pay-per-view broadcasts have four fights on them? Like, if if the promoters aren't interested in, in making the undercards interesting, why bother? You know, a lot of, you know, Showtime Championship Boxing are there about their triple headers. That's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Instead of just putting money onto three crappy fights, put it onto two better fights, get to the main event more quickly, and you and I and others like us can get to bed <laughs> earlier and be less miserable on Sunday morning. So yeah, anyway, although they... they they still seem to have this philosophy that the main event should not start before 8 p.m. West Coast time to sort of maximize the audience there, I guess. I don't know if they can, if anyone's mind can be changed on that. But nevertheless, uh, with two fights, you probably come in with the main event closer to uh, 8 p.m. Western, uh, 11 p.m. Eastern instead of 9 slash 12. So, yeah, why not? There you go. All right. There is a lot more to be said about all of this. And to help us figure it all out, we are joined on the phone from Las Vegas by our friend Matt Christie, who's the editor of the UK-based boxing news magazine and who was ringside at the MGM Grand on Saturday. Matt, my goodness. <laughs> what a night. I know, I know, I know. It, it, it was absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, I didn't expect it. I've got to be honest. I, I, I picked... Deontay Wilder. 
yet there was a feeling, and the feeling you always get a feeling with Tyson Fury that if you're picking against him, you, you always get that niggling feeling that you, you're <laughs> doing the wrong thing, and that and that feeling got stronger when I watched Tyson's Tyson Fury's rather spectacular ring walk. Well, say ring walk. He was he was sitting down, <laughs> ring um, carry, yeah, in, right. in being, being being dragged dragged along by scantily clad women. Um, <laughs> To, to the to the rather uh, unexpected tune of Patsy Klein's Crazy as he was singing along to it. And, and at, at that point, and, and you could see kind of the, the smoke bellowing beneath him and he stood up and he blew kisses to the crowd and and then he stood on the stood on the on the ring. And at that point I was thinking this is either him saying goodbye or we are about to see something absolutely spectacular because you would not be entering the ring doing things like that unless there was something spectacular about to happen and, and unless you knew that and, and boy oh boy was it spectacular was it ever oh man uh, you know when i think of great british boxing performances in in the states uh, you know i think of lloyd honeygun dethroning donald curry nasim hamed's spectacular u.s debut against kevin Ke- kelly there's others i'm sure that i'm not recalling but this has to be right up there right if this isn't at the very top if it isn't at the very top of British boxing performances in the colonies, it's, it's very close. Maybe it's the is it the best even right now? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd say that I think I think purely because of where Donald Curry was mm. uh, in the sport, um, and I think we, we it, it's easy in, in, unless you were around at that point. And I was only a kid, but I was well aware of of what Donald Curry was about. He was kind of almost Floyd, Floyd Mayweather esque at right. that at that particular point. It's, it's difficult to say that now, given what happened afterwards to him. Um, but he was he was at the very very top of the sport in a way that Deontay Wilder wasn't. Um, not not a soul expected Lloyd Hunnigan to beat Donald Curry, yeah. whereas there were quite a few rumblings that that that, that, that Tyson Fury was going to win this. We had evidence from the first fight. We, we we know what Tyson Fury is all about. So I think it's I think that that Lloyd Hunnigan, the Lloyd Hunnigan uh, fight will take some beating. But for me, for me personally, from my own experience, I can only go from what I've seen, what I've witnessed. Um, it was the most impressive performance of any boxer that I've ever seen. It was, it was incredible. And it's not that, had he gone in and done, so really, even though Tyson Fury kept telling us what he was going to do, we didn't think he was going to do that. That would have been that would have that, that that would have been maniacal to go in there and, and, and slug it out with with the man who put him to sleep uh, fourteen months ago. Yeah, but 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 so we were thinking that he's gonna he's gonna go in and and and, and do what he's so very good at and, and 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 take the strengths away from Deontay Wilder and and maybe win a twelve round decision. If you're backing Fury, that's the way you're going. If you'd have done that, like he did a little bit with Vladimir Klitschko uh, just over four years ago. So if you'd have done that, that would have been impressive anyway. But he reinvented himself and went in there and took this man apart in the manner that he did. And really, for the first time in his career, used every inch and every pound of his gargantuan frame and put all of that behind pretty much every punch. We saw something that we, 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 we couldn't have expected to see at all. It was it was it was awe awe inspiring, awe inspiring reinvention. And we often see punches go the other way. We often see punchers right. uh, have to reinvent themselves and, 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 and be a bit cleverer and be be more of a boxer. We saw with Floyd Mayweather, for example, who was who was a fearsome hitter in his early days, yet he had to adapt to age. But I don't recall ever ever knowing a boxer turn into some crazy slugger like Tyson Fury <laughs> did last night with such good effect. I thought it was. I thought it was a brilliant performance. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it certainly is unusual to go in, in that direction. I have to say though, is that, thank goodness I'm here to represent the American perspective and remind you, blokes, that America is at the center of the universe. You guys need to just <laughs> ca- calm down a little bit. You had a good night, but uh, relax a little. Um, but but actually. <laughs> Um, I, I was going to ask you, Matt, and you kind of answered the, the question that I was going to ask you about whether in the British media you guys were taking his knockout talk any more seriously than we were, because we, we certainly weren't. We sort of laughed at the idea uh, that he was going to knock people out. You know, that simply isn't how Fury fights. Um, but so instead, I'll sort of pivot to ask you. 
do you think this is the version of Fury that we'll see more going forward, that this aggressive style is how he'll be, or is it just quite kind of a, he showed how versatile he is and he can now do either depending on the opponent? I think versatility is the key. He's, um, you know, he speaks, he speaks, he says a lot of things, Tyson Fury. They're always worth listening to, but you, you, you're never always certain <laughs> if, they're, if they're always worth believing. Right. Um, and uh, so, so, but, so but, but what he said in the, in the immediate aftermath, uh, when he came out to the press conference wearing a crazy suit, no shirt, and, and, and Richard Sullivan's green tie, um, was um, that you know if, if this is what I can, this is what I'm going to say, this is the weight I'm going to be, this is the style I'm now going to going to use moving forward, and if this is what I can do after seven weeks of training in this new style, just imagine what I could do with you know a year or so behind me, um, and and but I do I I think that. I think that, that, that Tyson Fury, for, as a, going back to the original point, everything he says, you take it with a pinch of salt. You enjoy it, but you take it with a pinch of salt. But behind all that, there is a very, very intelligent boxer beneath it. One more than capable of, of, of working out what is required to win. And I just think, and I just felt a little bit stupid this morning. And, and during fight week, I, there, there were a few things that I was writing saying, well, this is crazy. What are you thinking? If he's going to go in there, all guns blazing, he's going to get knocked out. Who on earth am I to be saying things like that when when when, when Tyson Fury knows exactly what he's doing? You <laughs> right. know? Uh, so, but but what it does do, and I think I think the the, 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 the uh, boxing news we going into this fight we had Anthony Joshua number one, and the reason for that really was uh, even though he'd lost to Andy Ruiz, the fact that he regained the title from or regained some of the alphabet titles from Andy Ruiz, we still felt that that was better than anything Wilder or Fury had done. Now, going into this fight, it's kind of hard to believe, but it's, it's, it, you kind of deal with facts, is that Fury hadn't actually officially beaten, irrespective of what you think thought of the decision in the first fight with Wilder, Fury actually hadn't beaten a world-class opponent for over four years, and that was Vladimir Klitschko. So we had a bit of an issue with ranking Tyson Fury at number one in the division when he hadn't got an official win in, in that space of time over anybody else in the top ten. Now, I don't think there can be any denying that Tyson Fury deserves to be at the very, very top of the pile. I'll be interested to see what happens. And Joshua Fury, if it happens, if they can make it, who knows? Obviously, there was talk again last night of it. Mm. Um, but but you, you would have to make Tyson Fury a huge favorite against anyone. If his head is in the game, if he's focused, <clears throat> Obviously, he doesn't lose track and go off the rails like he did last time. And I don't think he will. And I'll, I'll happily talk why I don't think he will in a moment. But Tyson Fury, he's not unbeatable. He's, he, he, he makes mistakes. He got caught last night. People forget the size of the bruise on the side of his head when he came out right. of the post-fight press conference. With evidence of that, he took, he took one or two really, really hard punches from Deontay Wilder. But he just snapped anyone who backs against him in the future does so at their peril. But, and then going back to what, to what I was saying about, so after the Vladimir Klitschko fight, which wasn't a fan-friendly fight, let's be honest, um, it, it wasn't at all, but it was, it was a rather crucial changing of the guard. But after that fight, he felt that, quite famously, he felt that he'd reached the mountaintop. He'd, scale, he'd, he'd got as high as he possibly could, and his life started to crumble uh, around him for various reasons that we, we probably don't need to go into now. Um, but going into this fight, he was already a hero in many in, in many people's eyes. His, his fan base is growing at, at an alarming rate, and going now moving forward on the back of destroying Deontay Wilder, as opposed to attempting to move forward after picking and poking his way to a decision over Vladimir Klitschko in Germany, he, he now does this after doing that in Las Vegas, um, and I think he will just be exceptionally hungry for more. Also, back in 2015, Joshua was kind of on the way up, but there wasn't that kind of bubbling excitement in the heavyweight division that there is now. There's a lot for him to get his teeth into now. There's a lot a lot of opponents that he'll want to take on uh, that perhaps may not have got him overly excited, that were not there to get him excited four years ago. Right. You know, I'm trying to picture, wrap my head around the immensity of a Fury-Joshua matchup. It, I mean, it's, it's difficult, I think, 
in global boxing terms to really well articulate how big that fight is going to be if it happens. Um, I mean, first of all, it has to be at Wembley if it happens. For a start. There's, there's really nowhere else, surely, remotely big enough. Um, uh, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around the size and significance of it for for British boxing in particular. I mean, this that, that would leave like even Nigel Ben, Chris Eubank in the dust, right? I mean, is this is this potentially as big a fight as British boxing has seen? It would, it would without question, it would be the biggest fight that, that British boxing has ever made. With mm. with without question, it would be a crying shame if it wasn't in the UK. Mm. Uh, it would be it would be a crying shame if it wasn't in the UK. Wembley would make perfect sense, and I mean, <laughs> as, as a sporting event, it would capture the entire nation's consciousness, uh, and not just sporting fans. Everyone mm. would be talking about it. Uh, the whole world, I believe, as well, would be interested um, in, in, in that fight. The concern, of course, is, is that there's, there's a lot more money that potentially could be offered from elsewhere. Um, mm. Eddie Hearn has made no secret of that, saying that, yes, of course, it makes perfect sense for it to be in the UK. Uh, but somewhere like Saudi Arabia, for example, um, could come up with the money uh, to, to stage this fight. And... Uh, I forget his name now. Uh, uh, the, 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 the kind of mastermind behind the uh, uh, Ruiz Joshua rematch in Saudi Arabia, mm. um, but he was he was in Las Vegas. He was at the weigh-in mm. uh, when he was talking, and I could see that he was talking to George Warren, Frank Warren's son, at length, uh, taking it all in. And you kind of wonder. And, and Frank Warren mentioned. The, the, the possibility of of the fight being staged elsewhere, but he said his first his first wish would be for it to be in the UK. Would if it was in Saudi Arabia, would it really dampen the importance and and and, and the ap- appetite for it? Perhaps, perhaps mm. it would. From a UK perspective, from a UK perspective, that it would be at the same t- it would be at a decent time. Whereas in Las Vegas, anybody that was watching back in the UK would either have had to attempt to stay up, which is always a terrible idea. I've done it enough times in the past. Or that have got up early in their pyjamas and, and whatever else. And again, that's never quite right. Um, so in Saudi Arabia, fans would, would go along. Sorry, fans in the UK would be able to watch it, say, at 8 o'clock at night, a normal time of day. Um, but having experienced Saudi Arabia, um, it just is nothing. It doesn't have any kind of buzz beforehand. And if you look at the weigh-in, for example, of Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, which was a raucous affair, uh, there was, I don't know, I don't know how many people were in there, but I know they stopped letting people in. Um, and then you compare it to what it was like in Saudi Arabia, and there was probably a 50, 50 or 60 travelling fans that had made the trip over. Oh, it was, really? Is that oh, it, wow. he was just, he was just, he was just, or he just wasn't, he didn't get that, you didn't get that excitement. Now the counter-argument, of course, the counter argument to that is that okay, but that was Anthony Joshua versus versus Andy Reid. What if it's Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury? Are we now going to see thousands and thousands and thousands of people then make the trip to Saudi Arabia? I don't know. I don't know. But as I said a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago when I was talking about the possibility of, of Fury Wilder then going on to fight Anthony Joshua, if that fight happens. Ultimately, we should just be absolutely, particularly in this boxing era now where it is so difficult to get the best to fight the best, mm. that the fight is happening at all. So, yes, let's do it and let's do it at Wembley. But if we can't do it at Wembley, let's just make sure it happens. Yeah, that's fair enough. Although I do really think it belongs at Wembley. So I, I would hope that they could they could make it there if they're going to make it. But um, but to. to... Yeah. To to close on uh, on on what we witnessed uh, on Saturday night, uh, you said this might be the greatest performance you've ever seen. Uh, Kieran and I ha- have talked in the past on the podcast about our favorite nights and how when it all comes together, there's really nothing like the experience of being ringside on a special night of boxing. So on a personal level, and I'm sure you haven't had a chance to, to totally digest it all yet, but uh, at this moment, where does this rank for you in terms of nights you've spent at ringside? Yeah, it's, 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 it is really, it's, it's right up there. And when I, when I said earlier, it's the most impressive I've ever seen. It's because it's my, it's, it just exceeded all expectation. Tyson mm. Fury's performance exceeded all expectation. I'm not saying that 
when I've seen Floyd Mayweather at his peak doing right. stuff, that that that, that he, was as, he was he was as technically uh, outstanding as that. But I think right. I think what we had was we had a, we had a fight where where there was there was there was extreme expectation, um, and very often when you're in Las Vegas, you can come along and you kind of get swept up in it to an extent. But I remember. You know, the night before Manny Pacquiao fights or the night before um, Floyd Mayweather fights or, or, or whatever, you, you always kind of had a bit of, bit of a feeling that, that, that Mayweather was going to win or Pacquiao was going to win or, or, or whatever. And, and it didn't quite, the whole city wasn't quite alight with, with, with this excitement. It really genuinely was. That may be down to, to, to Tyson Fury's fans that really took over, took over Las Vegas for, um, for, 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 for a few days. Uh, they certainly took over my flight as well. There was um, a <laughs> flight over. There was, a, there, was, there was this announcement half an hour in that there would be no alcohol served. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not even going to get any wine with your dinner. And I was like, oh, brilliant. Nice one. So, um, yeah, so, but, 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 but then kind of going back to this fight, it was you not only had that expectation, although the fight on the face of it wasn't overly competitive, it was really a, quite a one-sided thrashing in Tyson Fury's favour. It had that sense of deliverance because the performance and what it could potentially lead to was was was, was wonderful. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Matt. Hey, look. Thanks so much for joining us the morning after the night before. Uh, I know you're you're heading out the room and, and flying back uh, very shortly, and plenty more time to digest it. It'll be interesting to see what the scene is like when you get back to the UK and how folks home are, are, uh, are thinking about it. Uh, as always, it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, mate. And uh, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, anytime, anytime at all. Thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. You, you too. Thanks, you too, Matt. Well, uh, we had a full week off from previewing Showtime fights, uh, but we're back on the horse again this week as on Friday, Showbox returns with a triple header from Sam's Town Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's not exactly the card we thought we were going to be previewing. Uh, We might, in fact, be breaking this news, depending on when you listen to this. But we just found out a few minutes before we started recording the podcast that Baltimore's Malik Iceman Hawkins, who was supposed to face Keith the Bounty Hunter in a super lightweight main event, is injured. So the card has been shaken up quite a bit. Hunter has a new opponent, Sanjarbek Rachmanov, and goes from the main event to the opener. And what was our scheduled opener, a 10-rounder in the welterweight division between Richardson Hitchens and Nick DeLomba, is now our main event. Uh, The middle bout on the card hasn't changed. That's a super middleweight 10-rounder between Kevin Newman and Gen Plana. But let's start with our new main event. Uh, Hitchens, whom we last saw on Showbox in November, scoring a unanimous decision against a solid opponent in Kevin Johnson, takes on Nick, Nick Nice DeLamba. Hitchens is 29 years old, out of Brooklyn, New York, with a record of 10-0 with five KOs. DeLamba is also 29 and is 16-2, also with five KOs. And he hails from Cranston, Rhode Island, hometown of Vinnie Paz and also of my college friend, Lucia. No other boxing podcast could have provided that particular nugget of information. Uh, Kieran, I know it's tough to top that insight, uh, but what else do you have? What's the rundown on this one? Wow, way to set the bar high, dude. Um, (laughs) uh, I'll I'll tell you this. Uh, Hitchens is not short of confidence. Um, He reckons, in fact, that he is the single best prospect in boxing. Uh, This is what he has to say about his style. Uh, I'm the craziest fighter ever, he says. Good start. I throw combinations. I can, like, throw a five-punch combination with one hand. I've never seen no fighter do that. It's crazy. I'm like a smart boxer puncher, a slick boxer, patient and real accurate. Uh, I got good timing and, and good feet. Um, of his own style, uh, Delamba, who is fighting for the first time outside of New England, says, I can do it all. It all depends what my opposition brings to the table. I'm a pressure boxer. I can box. I can move. I can bang. I can do it all. But I think I'm at my best when I'm really pressuring, grinding the guy down. Uh, Hitchens is a young up-and-coming fighter. They're testing him a little more and more each time. But now he's got a real test in front of him. But look, make no mistake uh, here. Uh, if the original main event had the potential to be a very even matchup between two undefeated prospects, this has a clear A side and a clear B side. Uh, Hitchens is very highly regarded. And actually not just by himself. Um, <laughs> he was pushed hard by Kevin Johnson in that last outing you mentioned, but still ended up winning uh, clearly on the scorecards. Um 
And he's still got plenty to learn, but he does have the pedigree. He competed in the 2016 Olympics for Haiti. Uh, he sparred with the likes of Terence Crawford, Erickson Lubin, Javante Davis, Shakur Stevenson, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia. So he is learning from the very, very best. Um, and I have probably already tipped my hand here <laughs> uh, in terms of predictions, but uh, let's... We've got a lot to discuss in this podcast, so should we just leap in here and go ahead and make our pick yeah. um, for this? Uh, as a reminder, I am presently Tyson Fury to your Deontay Wilder, <laughs> leading you by 21 points to 17. I hope Can they don't stop the, the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Can you close the gap this week? Uh, what is your prediction for our new main event? Richardson Hitchens versus Mick DeLomba. Uh, it's still early in the year, Kieran. Uh, four points is no big deal. No, no need for me to panic and pick an upset. I'm going to go with the chalk here. Uh, I was yeah. reasonably impressed by Hitchens against Johnson in November, and Johnson was a tough opponent. Hitchens is a fast-handed guy who likes to fight from distance, and against Johnson, he built a comfortable lead before Johnson started winning rounds late in the fight to make it appear a little closer than it might have right. been. I said at the time, Hitchens is a solid prospect who passed a test. Let's see where he goes next. I presume I'll be saying that again next week, uh, except maybe the part about DeLomba representing another test for him to pass. Uh, with apologies to all of Cranston, including my friend Lucia, I don't see it. Uh, DeLomba is easy to hit. He won't be able to keep up with Hitchens' speed. I think he's made to order. I'm going Hitchens KO3 in what I expect will be the least competitive fight on this otherwise competitive card. Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, it's a lot close, less, less close uh, on paper than the original main event. Um, Hitchens, I think, you know, I, I agree with your assessment of Hitchens. I think he has the potential to be pretty darn good. Uh, you could tell he's got a good amateur pedigree, can't you? He's got that poise in the ring that the young fighters have if, if they've if they've come from like a, a polished amateur background. Uh, he can box and move behind a very nice jab uh, when he wants to. He can fight in the pocket, and he's he's one of these guys who even at an early age. Um, feels like he can go into the ring with a game plan and set out a game plan and evolve over the course of the fight. From what I've seen of DeLomba, there is nothing to suggest that he can do any of those things. Uh, he's shown resilience at times. Um, against Juan Rodriguez, he recovered from a very ropey first round to score a stoppage. Um, but against Gledwin Davis, who raked him with jabs and power shots from the outside, he was pretty much helpless. And I, I think that's somewhat akin to what we're going to see on Friday night. Um, there's a reason DeLomba hasn't fought outside New England before now. There's a reason this was originally slated to be the opener. Uh, this is going to be a showcase win for Hitchens. The only question of when he stops him... i actually going to give DeLomba a couple more rounds of punishment, and I'm going to pick round five. All right. Um, so, uh, as we noted, uh, while Hitchens DeLomba moves from opener to main event... Keith the Bounty Hunter goes from main event to opener against late replacement Sanjarbek Rachmanov, who's 30 years old, 12-2-1 with six knockouts out of Uzbekistan. Hunter is 27 years of age and has a record of 11-0 with seven KOs, and he has some serious pedigree around him. Uh, he's managed by former heavyweight champ, uh, not titleist, champ, Hasim the Rock Rachman. He's trained by former 122-pound titleist Clarence Bones Adams. And if Hunter's name and nickname sound familiar... Well, he's the son of former fringe heavyweight contender Mike the Bounty Hunter and the younger brother of current heavyweight contender Mike the Bounty Hunter II. Everybody's the bounty in that family. Yeah. Uh, and there this are is other a... hunters, you know. <laughs> yeah. You could name, you could give yourself a nickname for it. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Carry well, on. whatever. If it's working, you know. Uh, so this is actually a rematch to a fight that took place at this same venue on a showbox off TV undercard last April. Uh, Hunter defeated Rachmanov by eight rounds, split decision by a single point with a second round knockdown making the difference. So we know that these two are competitively matched. So the eagle-eyed, or the owl-eared, perhaps, among you, will have noticed that we skipped straight from main event to opening bout without alighting upon the co-main. Uh, so let's get to that now. Um, these two fighters, they're not stars yet, but there's definitely star power in each corner. Uh, on one side of this 10-round super middleweight contest, we have Gen Plana, who styles himself the sexy Albanian. Don't... <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Yes. Uh, he sports a at least moderately arousing record of 7-1-1 one, one with four KOs. And he's trained by Simon Brown, who in an excellent career uh, racked up titles at 147 and 154 pounds, but is probably best remembered for being on the receiving end of one of the all-time great knockouts on Showtime, actually, at the fists of Vincent Petaway. Uh, ended up lying unconscious on the ground, still punching. Yep. Uh, 
classic knockout. Um, his opponent making his sophomore appearance on Showbox is the second coming, Kevin Newman, who is 11-1-1 with six KOs. And his trainer is a guy who had a pretty decent uh, boxing career. I, I think you've probably heard of him. It's a guy called Roy Jones Jr. Um, you know what? Instead of just listening to us two jackalopes talk about that fight, why don't we actually go ahead and bring in the future Hall of Famer himself, Roy? Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Hey, thank you guys for having me. You bet. Um, hey, look, so last time out, we saw Kevin gain revenge for the only loss of his pro career. He scored a wide unanimous decision over Marcos Hernandez, and it, it felt as if he never really needed to hit top gear. He, he appeared just too skilled and too quick and didn't need to show us everything he has in his toolbox. Uh, do you agree with that, and does he have more tools in reserve that maybe we'll get a chance to see on Friday? Yeah, I totally agree with that. He definitely has more tools in reserve, in reserve that you'll see on Friday if he needs them. Uh, Kevin has so many tools that he learned to now narrow it down to just the tools that he needs for mm. each particular job. So he tries to use only what we need. No need to show him too much, and we go from there. Okay. So I'm curious, Roy, how did you end up working with Kevin? What's what's the story between how you two came together? A friend of mine named Fizz, uh, Fizz called and told me one day that he knew a guy named Kevin Newman in Vegas who fought a lot like me, and that I should probably try to see if I could get into my gym and teach him more because he had the potential to be similar a similar fighter to what I was in my heyday. But I didn't believe I, mean, I believed him, but I didn't know I had never seen Kevin. Then he sent me some footage on Kevin. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. He's not bad. Then Bones Adams, who was also working with Kevin at the time, told Kevin that he probably should come see me and just see how that works out. So me and Bones Adams have been friends since the amateurs, and uh, somehow it all connected. And uh, he came down and worked with me once, and I saw how he looked, and I saw the potential. So uh, we talked, and I went to Vegas and worked with him. Well, actually, I went to Vegas first and met with him and did a little hand-made work, hand workout with him, and I really liked what I saw. So then I brought him down to front school, and we worked together. He went back to Vegas for a little while, and then came back again and worked together again. And from there, we've been just working. So uh, I really was taken by the hand speed, the power, the explosion, the uh, gift of being able to have a good eye to see punches coming at him. He did so many things so well that I just thought, you know, this guy could really be something. Hmm. And that's how I started working with him. Okay, and and I'll just note for our listeners who are hearing some uh, some background noise uh, that uh, th this is a authentic atmosphere around uh, Roy Jones that uh, we're able to hear uh, some of your what do we have chickens, roosters, a combination thereof uh, joining us. Chickens, chickens, dogs, ducks, peacocks, <laughs> everything. That's great. So my little thing. <laughs> well, we're glad to have uh, you and all of them uh, on, on the podcast. Uh, um, uh, how, how many other boxers are you working with these days? Is, is training a full-time thing for you? Yeah, training is a full-time thing for me. Now I have about uh, seven or eight other boxers. i got Michael Williams Jr., Louis Hernandez, Shady Gamora, Rashid Ashikido, uh, Ikram Kerouac. Uh, i got, you know, the list goes on. Uh, uh, Dang it, Dwayne Ziegler. Um, got one a cruiserweight named Lulu. Um, I mean, like I said, the list just goes on, man. I got I got about ten of them that I work with right now. So yes, fit up my stable Great, nice. Uh, it's funny you say that about him, like the, the, the fact that he was brought to you because he fights a bit like you. I was watching some footage of him from a few fights back, and that was my immediate reaction. I thought, oh, I didn't know Roy was already working with him then, and he wasn't. He just happened to be fighting that kind of kind of a style. Um, I, I'm curious yeah. about what, what you think his ceiling is and, and what kind of a path you'd like to see him on if he's successful on Friday. Uh, the ceiling, his ceiling is unmatched, like my, unpredictable like mine was. You know, He could do anything that he sets his mind to. Just got to get that strong mindset and uh, start to exercise that mindset and show it in, in fights when he fights. Because the first time he lost to the guy, he lost to it was a late notice fight for him. But still, his mindset was supposed to take him a little further. And uh, I'm trying to instill in him that to be the man, you have to feel like you're the man. If you don't feel like, act like, and walk around like you're the man, then you're not going to be the man. Like Tyson Fury did last night. Tyson Fury was the man all night last night. So when you are the man, you got to let people know that you're the man. When you fight, especially uh, anytime outside of that, it doesn't matter. But when it comes time to fight, you got to let people know that you are the man. 
And we do want to actually ask you some questions uh, about Tyson Fury's performance last night. But first, I'm curious uh, just for your thoughts on uh, Kevin's opponent this Friday, uh, Gen Plana. Uh, my old friend in the boxing media, Jeff Jowett, was ringside at Plana's last fight in Philly, where he was brought in to lose to a 12-0 fighter named Calvin Henderson, but his awkward, loose style kind of befuddled Henderson. And, and Jowett said he deserved to win seven of the eight rounds and had to settle for kind of a rip-off majority draw. How much video of Plana have you seen, and is he as awkward as Jeff says? Yeah, he's very awkward, as Jeff says, and uh, I'm looking forward to that, too. But you know what? In boxing, where I come from, speed and a good jab neutralizes all awkwardness. So as long as Kevin uses that jab, don't be able to try to knock him out with every punch, the awkwardness should not cause us a problem at all. Okay. All right. Okay, so you, you brought up Fury and Wilder. We've got to get your opinion on what happened there. I mean, look, how surprised were you, if at all, by how things unfolded? And, and I'm really curious about your thoughts as a boxer-turned-trainer about the stoppage, and particularly the fact that J.D. thought that Mark Breland was wrong to throw in the towel. Um, of course, they, were wrong. they thought he was wrong to throw in the towel, but Mark Breland was looking out for Wilder's future, not for Wilder's immediate uh uh, concern. So if you're looking out for his future, you know, stop the fight. He's been out of the fight since the first round. Since the first knock- knockdown, his mind has been bewildered. He's gone. He was yeah. nowhere. I'm saying he has one point knockout power, but last night, Fury had all of that under control. He had not even hit Fury with a really good hand pretty much the whole night. And when he did, he went to have no effect on him. So it's yeah. like, Wilder, Wilder is a guy who lacked boxing skills. I met with uh, Fury about four years ago, and I told Fury, if you focus yourself Dedicate yourself to boxing just for five years. None of those guys really can beat you, but you got to focus yourself and dedicate yourself back to the game. That's when he's in his heyday. When he's in the downtown, he kind of had just gotten stripped of the title because of whatever happened to him. Mm. Anyway, I think he took heed to what I said, and Kevin did just that because he's the smartest boxer. He's not the most powerful, but he's the smartest one of all of them. So when you got smart and you got a heart like he showed last night, anything can happen. The, the sky's the limit. Uh, last night he came out. He was very calm coming. He, he enjoyed himself coming to the fight. When I saw Wilder as serious as Wilder was, I started to know then there was going to be a problem. Now, before the fight, I really thought that Wilder could catch him and knock him out and, uh, like he did the first time just a little earlier. Mm-hmm. But as the, the fight started getting closer, I started to realize that, you know, I, the Gypsy King was calm, was ready for what he had coming for him, was prepared for anything that Wilder could throw at him, and Wilder only had one plan. When I saw that and I realized that the, 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 the last few days coming up to the fight, I started to realize that the Gypsy King had a real chance to pull this off. Then yeah. somebody said he's going to come in and try to knock him out. I said, well, I told uh, my wife, I said, if he comes in and pushes Wilder back, it's going to be a real bad fight for Wilder because Wilder's not used to fighting backing up. And that's exactly what the Gypsy King did. He came out and he immediately started making Wilder back up. Wilder's not used to fighting backing up. The bully's never used to somebody pushing him right. back. And that's what happened. Yeah. Interesting. And and so with with this win, Fury separates himself as seemingly the top heavyweight of the moment. I, I'm curious for a little historical pers- perspective, because, you know, before these guys entered the ring, there was uh, this nice acknowledgement, kind of a mini ceremony of sorts, honoring three heavyweight greats from your era, uh, Vander, Mike Tyson, Lennox Lewis. Um is Fury now making a case to be considered at, at that kind of level? Do we need to start thinking him, of him as a potential heavyweight great? No, 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 no. Fury <laughs> has made that mark. Fury okay. has already made that. He took out a guy who ran the division for 16 years. Then he come out and took out another guy who ran the division for 10 years. He took out both of those guys that nobody else could take out. He took them both out. Now, that don't mean that those guys were necessarily the great, some of the greats or the greatest ones they ever lived, but they was running the division when he took them out. Mm-hmm. That's what matters most. He took out two guys who were running the division that nobody else could beat in their prime. Not late in their heyday. And basically, because Crisco was late in his heyday, but Crisco still was beating everybody. Right. And he took him out. Then Wilder was beating everybody. Wilder was in his prime, pretty much. And he took him out. So you got to rate him amongst the greats because, not only because of what he did, because of his size, how we know he's been down, see, Cunningham knocked him down. So we know he don't have the greatest chin, but because of his size, his willingness to come in and fight anybody, his thought process that he puts in and winning these fights, he's almost like a mix between those guys that they showed last night and Muhammad Ali. Because Muhammad Ali did most of his damage with his mind way over how much he did with his boxing skills. 
They had pretty good boxing skills, but they used but 60% of them. The other part of you with his mind. He didn't really even throw body shots. He didn't need them. He outsmarted him so bad they hit him with his mind. Same thing that Gypsy King did last night. He outsmarted him and beat him with his mind first. That's why I started boxing, because I felt like I got out more people and beat them with my mind first. Wow. Man, I can, I'm closing my eyes listening to you, and it's like we're listening to an old HBO World Championship boxing broadcast all over again. It's fantastic. <laughs> listen, listen. It was one point last night, I think the second or third round, I told my people out, because me and my, my fighters were watching it together, and I don't usually watch fights, but I wanted to see this one because I wanted to see if what I thought about the Jesse King was really true, and it was. But I didn't know for sure, but I thought that, but I wanted to see. That's why I paid for it and watch it. I haven't paid for a pay-per-view fight since, I think, uh, Delahoya Mosley was the last mm. one I think I paid for. I ain't bought a pay-per-view fight since then because I don't usually really care. But last night, because it was the Gypsy King and because I knew that Wilder only had one plan, I said, you know, I want to see what's going to happen if the plan don't work or how is the Gypsy King planning to dismantle him because I know the Gypsy King got a plan. And he did exactly what nobody else would have expected him to do. And I didn't see it until the last couple of days myself. Wow. Man, Roy, thanks so much. It is always great to get your insight. Um, really miss you on the broadcast. Um, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us and all the best with Kevin on Friday. And thank you guys for having me. I look forward to a great night on Friday night for Kevin Newman. You betcha. Thanks, thanks Roy. Roy. Good luck. All right. All right. God, that was great. I, yep. I particularly like the background noise. That was just perfect. <laughs> perfect. Would, you, would right. you like me to make chicken and rooster noises in the background when you talk from now on? Eric, what you do at home is up to you. <laughs> but let's keep the business and personal life separate, shall we? All, All right. right. One other fight card of genuine significance this weekend. It is in Frisco, Texas, streaming on DAZN. Uh, two fights of particular interest. Uh, they're both genuinely intriguing ones. Uh, in the main event, Jesse Vargas takes on Mikey Garcia over 12 rounds in the worthweight division. Uh, Garcia, of course, has held titles at featherweight, super feather, and lightweight. Uh, but his only previous outing at 147, which was his most recent appearance in the ring, was a year ago against Errol Spence. And he lost pretty much every minute of that fight. Uh, Eric, are you surprised to see Mikey Garcia stay at welterweight? Are we underestimating him a bit on the back of that Spence loss? Uh, and can he under overcome Vargas? He's a solid an experienced contender uh, that way, but uh, probably a good skill level down on Garcia. Um, I'm not surprised that Mikey is staying at welterweight. That's where the money is. That's where the name mm -hmm. fighters are. Even if he's an underdog against most of those top name fighters uh, and could be a favorite against anyone at 140, I think fighting at 147 is basically a case of a business decision overruling mm -hmm. a boxing decision. Uh, and, hey, he doesn't have to torture himself at all to make weight. So there's, uh, there's that side of it. Are we underestimating him off the Spence fight? Maybe a little. The memory of him getting nothing done against Spence is what's freshest in our minds. Um, if we're not underestimating him, we're at least questioning him. We're, we're very unsure of how good he can be right. at 147. Uh, all that said, Vargas ain't no Spence, and the odds reflect that. I'm seeing Mikey at minus 500 and Vargas at plus 333, so the bookmakers clearly believe that the higher skill level you mentioned matters more than Vargas having been at the weight for a while. Uh, Jesse Vargas is a very solid fighter, never really gets blown out, but when you look at his career, when has he actually scored a win over someone he wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to beat? He did it against Saddam Ali, that one's for sure, but... That's about it. Uh, so I actually, I, I think those odds are about right. Uh, you know, Rich Murata uh, was asking me on Twitter. He saw uh, Vargas at like five to one as an underdog and was asking, was that too high? And I said, yeah, that's that's a pretty good price on Vargas. But down where I'm seeing him now at a little over three to one, that makes sense to me. Uh, Garcia mm. does figure to win this fight uh, despite his last performance at welterweight and despite the year long layoff that he's coming off of here. Um, the odds are closer though on the co-main, which pits Britain's Cal Yafai, who holds an alphabet belt at super flyweight against former pound for pound. Number one, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Kieran Chocolatito has shown in his last couple of fights that he probably isn't as shot as he appeared in his rematch loss to Sri Saket Sorong Visai. That said, he is 32 now, which can be ancient mm. in the lower weight classes. Does he have enough left to hand Yafai his first defeat? And what does it mean for Chocolatito's career at this point if he doesn't? 
Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, Yafai is a good fighter, although I'm unconvinced he's a great one. Uh, he is undefeated, although he arguably got away with one a bit a couple of fights ago against Israel Gonzalez. Um, you know, and his stoppages, interestingly, have diminished since he sort of made a step up in class. He had 14 KOs in his first 20 fights, but just one in six since moving up to world title level. Uh, he does have a nice style about him. I like to watch him fight. He fights behind a high guard. His punches are short and sharp. He's always well balanced. He's very good, but he is the kind of boxer a prime chocolatito would have eaten up. Um, can a subprime chocolatito beat him? Uh, I don't know. I, I would favor Yafai here. He's fresher. He's less battle-worn. And he's good, like I said. Uh, right. But he isn't so good that I can't possibly envisage the possibility of chocolatito coming up with that one last great performance that sometimes you know fighters do. Um if Chocolatito loses, what does it mean for him? Uh, I guess, well, it depends on how he loses, doesn't it? Um, right. If it's reasonably close, say, you know, he pushes him to like a, a close unanimous or, you know, a split or majority decision. Yafai is good enough that that means that Gonzalez can, though, with great credibility, go around for another alphabet belt or something if he wants to. Um, but if he gets wiped out against a guy who hasn't been blasting opponents out, then it's time for Chocolatito to f sit down and focus on drafting his Hall of Fame induction speech. Yep. All right. There was an enormous amount of news coming out of the MGM Grand and Environs in Las Vegas for Fury Wilder Fight Week. But I'm happy to see, Eric, that you caught the most important item of all and tweeted about it. Adrian Bronner was, yes, arrested and escorted away from Friday's weigh-in and off the property. Apparently... 13 months after headlining a pay-per-view card there, he has actually been 86 from the MGM for an undisclosed, quote, incident in November. Uh, Bronner always likes to make out that he's a unique character in boxing, and well, this time I think he's probably right. <laughs> he is surely the first active boxer to be banned from even setting foot anywhere in a venue that could host his next fight. I, even Mike Tyson, at his most bitey, couldn't pull that off. So... Yeah, congratulations, AB. Just keep on doing you. <laughs> yeah, it, it's real simple here. You cross Al Bernstein. You talk smack to Al Bernstein yeah, publicly, and there is no limit to the amount of karmic retribution you deserve. Yeah. Uh, we've often said of Broner, I hope he can get it together before it's too late. I'm done saying that. Uh, I just hope he has enough money saved up to buy himself a presidential pardon. They're not cheap, but they are for sale. And I think that's uh, about his only out at this point. Yikes. Um, <laughs> moving on to some real news, eh, possibly real news. Um, Alan Dawson, our business insider, visited the top rank offices in Las Vegas during Wilder Fury Fight Week, uh, came away with a scooplet of sorts, quoting Bob Aram as saying that top rank could be for sale and that he's actually been approached by three pretty heavyweight entities that have inquired about the company's availability. Um, are you buying this, Eric? And I don't mean are you buying top rank, but <laughs> no. um, are you buying the notion that somebody might be buying top rank? Uh, I'm not sure. Aram said some pretty generic stuff in that story, like, quote, anything is for sale. It was almost like <laughs> he was saying top rank isn't not for sale. Uh, the story indicated Todd DeBuff wouldn't sell his share. So I don't know. It sounded to me like typical Aram, which is to say he knows how to get a reaction He's never overly concerned with telling the truth, and his tune can always change on a dime. Bob is one of those guys who you love him when you're on his team. He annoys the crap out of you when he's on the other team. Uh, he did say Fury would knock Wilder out, uh, which might have been promoter talk. It might have been his real prediction. Either way, he was right. Um, so I assume there's some truth in what Aram is saying. I assume he has been approached about selling his stake in top rank. But I also assume it's very, very far from happening. I would think it comes down to, A, is Bob ready to stop working altogether? And B, does he feel it's better to give his kids and grandkids a share of a company or a bunch of extra millions in cash from a share of a company that he sold? Uh, all in all, though, this kind of feels to me like just a case of Aram saying whatever he thinks will gin up a little extra attention during fight week. Yeah, yeah. Hey, business insider journalists. And he probably said, so would you ever sell this company? And well, off we go.
Right. That's just for you. <laughs> there it is. Uh, all right. One more item from Fight Week in Vegas. Layla Ali told Max Kellerman on ESPN's first take that she would consider coming out of retirement to face Claressa Shields. And Mark Taffet, Shields' manager, told ESPN's Dan Raphael that he has been talking to members of Ali's team about the possibility, saying, quote, I hope we have continued conversations because for the two athletes and for women's boxing, I think it would be a great event. Layla is 42 and last fought 13 years ago. Do you think, Kieran, that this could possibly be a real thing? Um, if it did happen, would the winner be definitively the quote? Uh, and should it happen? Is this a fight that you want to see? I was trying to think about how we would react if it was men's boxing and the idea of possibly the best male fighter on earth wanted to fight a 42-year-old who hadn't fought for 13 years. Um I'm hoping we'd be quite dismissive, but it's boxing, so we probably not. I guess it would depend on the on who exactly the long retired boxer is, and probably you know if the surname's Ali, then yeah, I guess I guess it's a possibility. I mean, it isn't the age that's the big factor; it is the fact for me. It's the fact that Layla Ali has been inactive for so long. Um, she's clearly still in, in in great shape, but that doesn't mean she's in boxing shape. Um, right. I guess the likelihood of that happening depends on whether Layla really wants it to. I understand why Clarissa would want it to. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer on, on one level for her. But it doesn't seem that Layla's short of money or of work. Um, the fact that she's been out of the ring and never really talked about being in the ring for 13 years doesn't suggest that there's still a fire burning inside her. Um, so clearly, there'd have to be a, a whole lot of money to tempt her. Uh, is there enough money? in this to get Layla Ali back in the ring? I, I simply don't know. Um, will the winner be the quote? Well, that depends who wins. If Caressa won, it would neither add to nor diminish her claims to be the quote. Um, if she lost, she could never with a straight face call herself the quote again. Right, if she right. loses to somebody who's 42 and has been out of the ring for 13 years. Yeah, no. So there you go. Yeah. And, and I, I'll just say that, uh, I agree completely with what you said about uh, Ali, that she she never struck me as needing to still scratch the boxing itch, uh, which is why my hunch is that, that she's just in the mood to drum up a little publicity here yeah. and, and that we're playing into it like a couple of suckers uh, by talking Again. about it. Um, right. <laughs> That's what we are. But uh, it, it would rearrange the hierarchy on next year's Hall of Fame female fighters ballot uh, if she fought and bumped her eligibility back for what that's worth small very minor subplot in probably a non-story oh there you go yeah, good yeah. Point. look at you always finding the angles <laughs> that's me that's what i do all righty okay that will do it for another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney thanks very much to matt christie and to roy jones and to roy jones roosters uh <laughs> we will be back next week with a look back at the show boxing the seven cars and a lot more besides until then thanks for listening